0: And in my i'm finding the these days disrepresentation brewing that the focus remains the focal point of my team hello and welcome to the rambling runner podcast i'm your host matt chittum and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the best of their lives and this show is presented by ragnar relays don't you want to do something amazing this year don't we all One way to do it is by signing up to Ragnar Relays. They have road and trail courses. You join up with 8 to 12 of your friends. You do an unbelievable course with people you love, and you just do just an amazing thing. And what's better than that? Well, I'll tell you what. Use code Rambling19 to save 80 bucks at RunRagnar.com. That's code Rambling19 to save 80 bucks on this amazing experience. So this episode is with Billy Richards. This guy is an absolute stud. I'll tell you what, I just couldn't wait to talk to him. It really was a, a interview that came on pretty quickly. I talked about it when we... uh We jump on the call, but it was a really it was an interesting confluence of events. But I could have talked to this guy for five hours. I mean, this guy, if you love the episodes with David Goggins on a variety of different podcasts, you're going to love this episode with Billy because he's basically he's made out of the same fabric as David Goggins. He just will not quit. And he just, beyond that, has just achieved so much in his life, not only athletically, but in so many other ways. You're just going to love this episode with Billy. He he really was an absolute joy to talk to, and I can't wait. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Billy Richards. Billy, thanks for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I'll tell you what. It was like, what a... um. To just a series of events on my end. Last weekend I was at my father-in-law, not my yeah, my father-in-law's house, and he had the American Legion magazine out on his um on his coffee table, and you know, he's a veteran, as is as are other members of his family. And there was a guy on the front cover, the ultra patriot guy, you know, running down the street, got the American flag. I'm like, whoa, this is interesting. I want to read this article. So I take it home, and then two hours later, I get a Message on Instagram saying, "Hey, you should interview this guy, Billy Richards." I'm like, "Oh, I wonder who that is." Look you up. You're the guy on the magazine. I was like, "I really got to get this guy on." It's like what a confluence of events. It's just like two two little notifications within like a two hour span.
1: Yeah, that's cr- that's crazy.
0: <laughs> All right, well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. You're doing simply amazing things, uh, in the running community and, uh, just from a fundraising perspective and for the military, it really is remarkable. So as advertised here, you know, in, in, in so many different places, both in this magazine and online and, and people who follow you on Instagram and various places, you're out there trying to set the world record the American record is the way is the world record or American record for 100 mile races in a year.
1: It's the, uh, it's the world record. It's uh, 41 for the year currently.
0: All right. So it's the world record. All right. I just wanted to make yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, it's, it's set by uh, Ed uh, Eddinghausen.
0: Okay. So 41 for the year. I just can't wait to get into the, just the logistics of how one goes about doing this. But before we get into it, because there's the, the strong military background as well, what made you want to go in the military in the first place? Um.
1: Well, I went into the Marine Corps at the age of seventeen. Um, originally, you know, I I, want, I wanted to serve my country. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I didn't really have like an exact like direction where I was going with my life and everything. So I want I wanted to serve my country, and uh, I picked the Marine Corps because you know it was the you know it was the biggest challenge. It was the hardest one. You know, like um, I heard about all the other like boot camps and everything. So you know, I decided to. Um, You know, just take the plunge and just go all the way.
0: So, what about going to the hardest one um, attracted you? Like, why? Why was that? Why did that play a part in your in your decision making process? Well, it's just you know, it's just the way I
1: think, though. Like uh, with certain things, like um, I'm usually somebody like if um, if I go on to like take a challenge or whatever, I'm just I'm gonna go all in. You know what I'm saying?
0: I understand. So, did you have members of your family who were in the military? Um, No, I have not. OK, so so tell me about the process by which, OK, you know, was it like you just going to a recruiter? Like, What was the what was the instigating point for you to go from considering it to making the decision and really following through on it?
1: Yeah, I went down, I went down to the recruiting office and, you know, I was just impressed by um, how, how professional and everything they were and um, how, you know, they like they you know, like little things here and there, you know, like, uh, they're, they're notorious for being in like the best shape, you know, the best of the best, you know, I mean, that's pretty much, um, what, uh, what clinched the decision.
0: So were you an athlete in high school? Was it, was, was being in top physical condition already something that was on your radar?
1: Uh, not necessarily. I wouldn't necessarily say that I was an athlete in high school. I was more of like a gym rat. Um, you know, like, um, up until I was about 13, I was more of like a couch potato, more of a video game guy you know, I, I did play like, um, sports, like with, you know, with like occasionally with friends and stuff, but like nothing organized, you know? And, um, you know, I also, uh, I was also like the little, uh, short stocky kid and everything too, though. So, you know, one, you know, I got I used to get picked on a lot. I was the youngest one in my grade, you know, so I had a, I had a December birthday. So, you know, like, uh, well, I, you know, I used to, there were times where I'd have to like lie about my age and everything just so I wouldn't get beat up. You know, this, I mean, this is when I was really young. And then, um, one day I just, um, decided to get into fitness and work out. I was always like inspired by like action movies and stuff like that. You know, I would see like, you know, action movies, pro wrestling, you know, I used to see like these larger than life guys. And then, you know,
0: I decided, you know, it's like, I want to be that, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, did you just like sign up for a local gym? Do you follow your dad around? Like, how did how did you make that work?
1: Well, I didn't really know what I was doing at first. Um, you know, um, my uncle helped me out a lot. He got me a weight set and everything. He got he introduced me into um, you know to working out. He bought me a, he gave me a bunch of his old like men's health magazines, uh, this uh, bodybuilding guidebook, and everything. So I researched everything and I kind of went at it at my own. It was like it was like spring. Summertime. So I started off lifting weights in my basement. And then, um, once, uh, the weather started getting cooler and, uh, well, not basement, but garage, but you get a, a downstairs level downstairs level of my house. But, um, once the weather started getting cooler, I started having issues with the ventilation system and everything. So I started getting like tension headaches and everything. So, um, for my birthday, my dad decided to get me, um, a gym membership. Um, so I, I started off at, um, I started off at a local Bally's and, um, you know, I basically, uh, learn, you know, learned most of my weightlifting techniques and everything off from people off the floor. You know, everyone's, you know, I was the youngest one at the gym. I was, you know, I just turned 14. So, you know, like I was pretty much like the only kid there and, um, everyone was really helpful. They helped me out, you know, just basically like research, talking to people on the floor. I had a few workout partners here and there, but for the most part, you know, I, pretty much um, trained, stuck with it on my own. And then, um, you know, as, as, um, as the years went on in high school and everything, you know, I started to get bigger and stronger. So, you know, people kind of left me alone a little bit more. So I didn't really get picked on as much. You know what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. So was that, was that the primary goal? just kind of like being able to like be a stronger kid, being able to stand up for yourself, especially at age 14 because at that point you're you're I assume a freshman in high school, right?
1: Uh yeah, I was a uh, freshman when I started and um well actually when I started in my garage, I was um I was just leaving middle school, so I was like 8th grade. And then um fre- freshman year of high school was pretty much uh when I actually you know joined the gym for the first time and everything. And, um, I was pretty much like a loner growing up. I didn't really have, uh, that many friends or anything. I had a couple of, uh, close friends, but that's about it. So, uh, when my dad would get off of work, he would, uh, drop me off at the gym every day after school. And, um, you know, I used to pretty much like work out on my own and, you know, I did that from sophomore year to senior year. And, um, you know, I was very insecure as a kid and everything. I used to wear like baggy clothes and stuff like that though, because I was always a stocky kid. So in the beginning, nobody really could tell that I worked out until it was more towards the end of my, um, sophomore year. I was sitting alone at the lunch table, like, um, like towards the end and, uh, a bunch of kids were arm wrestling. So, you know, they were all, you know, they were bragging about what they were doing and everything like that. So one of them came over and challenged me. So I, I was just like, okay, I'll do it. And, um, you know, so we, we locked arms up and, uh, you know, the other kid uh, jumped the gun. You know, he tried to slam me before the other person sa- said go. But at that time, I had been lift- I had already been lifting weights for a while. So I didn't even realize he started yet. I just saw him strain on his face. And I ended up just pretty much easily moving his arm down. And that's pretty, that's when everyone kinda started to figure that I was working out. Cause I remember my one friend going to me, he's like, Oh man, you know, your your arm swelled up to double the size when you slammed him. Come on, flex, show a muscle. So you know, I pulled my sleeve up and I flexed and they were like, Oh wow, you got softballs for arms, you know, it's you know, but I mean yeah, that like back then I had uh, you know, I had like different goals in mind and everything with fitness, so, you know,
0: well, there isn't a high school kid in America who doesn't want big biceps. So I can totally oh, – yeah.
1: I, I totally get you with that. That's for sure. Well, I used to shock people too too though because I wore the baggy clothes all the time. Because I can remember too, this uh, this one instance, uh, my senior year of high school, I had uh, blown up to about 230 pounds. But I still had like, – but it was 230 pounds like on a small frame. So with the clothes I was wearing, I still looked like I was about 180-ish. And uh, we, went to, we went on a field trip to this one mill. Where um, you know, where they had like a grain scale or whatever. You know, this is on Long Island, and um, you know, the lady that ran the grain scale. Oh, the scale's real accurate. You know, anybody want to test it out? Step on the scale. So you know, I was like, all right, I'll test it out. So I stepped on the scale, and it showed that I was two thirty. And she's like, oh, well, I think something might be off. Is that about right? I'm like, yeah, that's about right. She's like, none of your friends are standing on it. I'm like, no. <laughs> so, you know, it got kind of a little, little bit of a surprise.
0: And that must have really helped your confidence, I assume, right? Like you know, once once you started getting considerably stronger, you know, and being able to not only improve in the weight room, but all of a sudden your body's changing. And that's kind of a time in, you know, in most kids' lives where... You know, they start getting, you know, growth spurts and, you know, testosterone starts kicking in and starts, you know, especially as you get later into your teens, you can really start making gains from a physical fitness perspective, especially with lifting weights. Like it must have been really uplifting to see your body change like that.
1: Well, you know, it's crazy, though, because like, um, you know, you feel better about it. But at the same time, though, like, um, you know, it didn't really affect my confidence that much yet. I guess what really kind of helped was after uh, graduating Marine Corps boot camp. You know, because even though even though I would get like the little compliments and everything like that, it's still kind of, you know, because it's hard to turn in, you know, like get a huge confidence boost overnight like that. You know what I'm saying?
0: That's true. And I guess especially if you're not in a situation where you're testing yourself against others and especially if you're also hiding your body in a way, uh, it's hard to kind of get that recognition for the work that you're putting in. So when you're getting ready for the Marine Corps, right, you're looking at it, you're saying, okay, this is for me. It's a tough challenge. This is something that's going to help straighten out my life, kind of give me direction. How did you start then preparing for you know the the aerobic aspect of getting ready for boot camp? Obviously, you were a really strong guy, but I've, but you know certainly there's more to you know you know the physical fitness aspect than just brute strength. Well, I mean, well,
1: I always did cardio, but I never really um, I never really ran you know, cause like part of, you know, part of my goal is I wanted to slim down to get like a lot of muscle at the same time, which, you know, it's very difficult to do. I mean, even, even at that age and everything though. So I did have like a base level of, uh, cardio conditioning. I went to the, uh, Marine Corps recruiter that July. I was still about 225, 230 ish. You know, I passed all the fitness tests and everything though, but you know, they told me they're like, Hey, uh, you know, you, you're overweight. You got to get down to like at least 190. I think it was 190. Like um you got to get down to at least like 190 before we could ship you out. So, you know, uh they give me a ship date of um October 18th. So, you know, I I had a little bit of time, but um yeah, basically I start I started out um again, I was still a little bit on the conservative shy side so I didn't really want anyone to see me running So I used to get up at like 5 a.m. So, you know, pretty much set the standard before I even went into the Marine Corps. So I used to get up at uh, 5 a.m. and go for my runs before all the traffic and everything came out. You know, so I started out on a little two-mile loop and then, you know, I graduated to a three-mile loop. And, um, you know, I just kept, um, you know, I run that loop like I started out like three times, you know, like three times a week, you know, because I was still like in more or less in like that bodybuilding mindset where your body requires time to recover and everything. So I would balance it out though, you know, so I go like Mo- Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would just do a three mile run, you know? So, I mean, I didn't really have too much of an idea was out what I was doing. I would still hit, the, I would still hammer it down in the gym, but, um, I started to do like more reps than like the heavy lifting, you know what I'm saying? So I would do like a lot of drop sets. I don't know if you're familiar with drop sets Are I still use, use those to this day, but you know, drop sets are where you start out with a heavy weight and then when you reach failure, you cut the weight down and then you just keep going.
0: Oh yeah. Those things, those drop sets, drop sets are hell. <laughs> they're, oh, yeah. they I, are I love a killer them,
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love them though not nothing gives you a burn better than a drop set i love those that's things.
0: true that's true i guess i guess that it's it, it's you know different sides of the same coin right the reason the reason yeah. they get the reason they're hell is the same reason why you're talking about why you like them pretty much
1: i mean you know because like I, I mean after lifting weights for so long like you kind of get addicted to the burn you know what i'm saying you just love feeling the pump and everything
0: so let's talk about motivation here. So obviously, you're at this point, you know, from age 14 to 17, you're working really hard on your body, yet you're pretty much, it sounds like, doing it, um, you know, as an individual as opposed to a team, right? This isn't a team sport. You're not part of like a weightlifting crew, so to speak. This is really an individual effort, even talking about your running, right? You're waking up at 5 a.m. to try to avoid people seeing you and you're getting out, you're getting your run in what was some of the things that you would do to motivate you or what were some of the motivations you had to sustain this effort over a long period of time?
1: Well, you know, it's like I knew I just had a goal, like, you know, and I just wanted to attain it. And, but I didn't, but I didn't really have like a higher echelon. Well, I shouldn't say higher echelon, Ed, but I really didn't have like an end point to the goal. Like I didn't have a set point. I just wanted to get like as Big and as fast and as strong as possible. You know what I'm saying, though. So there was like no end to it, and you know, like after a while, you just kind of get like absorbed into the process. So once you get to the point where you actually like enjoy the process of it, you could just keep going forever. You know
0: what I'm saying? And once once you started your career in the military, what what you know what what was your profession within the military? What, what was like your your primary professional focus?
1: My primary MOS in the Marine Corps was, um, was an 0311, which is a basic basic rifle infantry.
0: And what did that entail for you regarding physical fitness and staying in, in peak shape? Well, I mean, you know,
1: you had, you had different things. Like you had your Ironman goals. Like, you know, like company Ironman was like the, uh, you know, like the, the best, uh, you know, at uh, physical fitness and everything. But, um, you know, I got, I got in. I went to boot camp. You know, while I was in boot camp, that's where I started to pick up a little speed running. Like, um I had the weight the weight training strength. So boot camp, um, I managed to cut my weight down to like about one eighty five, one ninety from two thirty to get in. And then once I was there, you know, with the uh restricted diet and everything else, by the time I graduated boot camp I came out like one fifty two. Oh my goodness.
0: You must have been you must have been shredded at that point.
1: Um, I wasn't really, I wouldn't so much say I was shredded, like, uh, from all the loss of muscle mass and everything. Like I actually had like a lot of loose skin hanging off the, you know what I'm saying?
0: Oh, good point. Yeah. I was thinking just from a, from a, I was just thinking from like, from having such a decrease in body fat that I was thinking that your, you know, your muscles must've been really popping out, but you're right. I didn't even think about the skin part.
1: See, I didn't really get like, get like that shredded down until like later on in life, like more or less like when I became a personal trainer. Cause I never really, you know, like I never really had like the diet or anything in order until then, you know, cause like in the past, you know, I would, I would have like training phases where one phase I would try to build up strength, another phase I would try to build up endurance, but I just didn't have the diet in order. So all I really did to compensate for the diet was, um, just train harder. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I mean that's how a lot of people approach it, right? I mean a lot of people even approach working out as a way to circumvent a bad diet, right? Like that feeling of like, hey, I you know I, I, I run so that I can eat whatever I want. I know I was at a point in my life like that, you know, yeah. kind of like mid late twenties, and now I'm in my late thirties. It doesn't work that well, <laughs> you know. You no, know, it's like I mean, re- realistically, no matter.
1: I mean, even with all the ultra marathons on the planet, like I'm well, I'm talking for aesthetics. I'm not talking about. Like just like a, just like a general fitness thing. I'm talking about like that shredded appearance and everything. Like you can't, there's like, you can't out-train a bad diet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, from a, from an ultra well, from an ultramarathon standpoint, you can burn all the calories that you're taking in, but you know, like you're not going to get super lean unless your diet's like in order, you know, you're not going to get fat either, you know, unless you're doing pizza and cheeseburgers every single day in between but um you know at the same time though like you can't you really can't like outtrain like a bad diet you know
0: that's true and it's a two-way street right because if you eat like crap it's going to be hard to perform the way you want to just you know just oh, cuz yeah. you, your body's going to feel bad you're going to feel bloated you're not going to be able to recover there's i mean there's so many factors that a bad diet can negatively affect someone's body yeah so even yeah even if you're not going into cal- into a caloric deficit it still is going to be Optimized. That's for sure. Oh, without
1: a doubt. Like you, even with the uh, even with the hundred mile races, I find that if I eat too much, you get too bloated. So, like a lot of times, like I mean, I try I try to eat whenever I hit the aid stations. But um, there's there's some times where you're just not hungry. So you know, like I'll throw down, like maybe like a small case of the air. Like I'll at least try to grab something though. But if I overdo the calories, you know, they usually end up just coming back up. So
0: <laughs> oh god. So let's talk about diet. though. we don't have to do this completely chronologically. So when you as you progressed as an athlete, because you've had kind of a couple of different phases within your life as an athlete, how has your diet evolved?
1: Well, I mean, generally, like before I got into like all the ultra distance racing and everything, I'd always do everything kind of seasonally, you know, like I, I would, because um, I would double over both as like a gym rat slash power lifter slash endurance athlete. You know what I'm saying? So like uh, usually... Usually during the fall and winter, like the colder months, that's when I would pack on all the muscle mass and everything. So, like I used to, I mean, I don't really do it this way anymore, you know, because I have had a few injuries, which I'll get into a little later. But, um, you know, usually, in, usually in the past, like I would, um, I would eat heavy and then just lift like ridiculously heavy and everything, and try to layer on as much muscle mass as possible. And then, uh, as I would get a few months out from the uh, springtime you know, I would, I would type my diet back down, bump my cardio up and then shred it all down. So, you know, I would, I would have your traditional like bulk up and cut down phases, like, you know, pretty much every year. So, you know, I'd spend part of the year getting bigger and stronger then I'd spend the other part of the year cutting down and getting lean, you know, so it was kind of like an endless cycle, you know what I'm saying? So like in the, you know, like it would go like, You know, by the time like February, March would roll around, like I would have like a 400 pound bench press, 500 pound squat, 600 pound deadlift. And then I would go from that straight into almost straight into endurance goals. So when I would start my endurance goals, I would have like massive strength numbers, but I would, I would, I would hit like, let's say, like maybe like a 35 minute three mile time. But by the time I got to the end of my endurance phase of it, I would be closing in on like the 18 minute three mile mark. You know what I'm saying? A lot of it, a lot of it too, because I would shed all the weight off and everything, and I would just get lighter, leaner, and faster. So I would keep bouncing back and forth between the two. You know, like um, it got to a point though, like uh, when I was, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, well, when I was in the Marine Corps, I did a little bit of everything because I mean they always made you run. Like every every six months, you'd have to take a physical fitness test. And at my best PT test, at some point, at um, like around like the 2002 mark when I was uh when I was about 20 years old, I had a 16:53 uh, mile time.
0: Good God, Billy! Holy cow, that's fast.
1: Yeah, i mean, I'm nowhere near that fast <laughs> anymore. So I mean, you know, like if you challenge me to <laughs> to like a 5K run, I wouldn't come in anywhere near that. But yeah, I got to a point, you know, I mean. The sit-ups have always maxed, you know, so I'd always get like a, or crunches, which is what they did at that time. I don't know what they're doing now, but, um, you know, you, like the, the fitness test to get a 300 PFT score, which is the max effort. You'd have to do, uh, 20 dead hang pull-ups, 100 crunches in two minutes, and then you'd have to get a sub 18, three mile run for a perfect score. And, um, I did that for the last two PFTs I, I did when I was in the Marine Corps. I did a uh, sixteen fifty at my fastest and then a seventeen fifty five on the one right before I got out
0: so that first of all that is awesome obviously that's a real test of you know a full complement of you know athletic characteristics i mean getting all of those things done
1: oh yeah i used to i used to be um well when I was in the marine Corps too um i star you know my primary job was uh infantry. But um, after my first deployment, I got moved over to the company office because all the guys that were in the company office uh, EAS'd and got out of the Marine Corps. So that gave me a little bit more training time to play around with. So for a while, I was you know, while I was in the office, I was also attempting to do all these uh, special operations type in doc, in docs and everything. So well, you know, while I was getting for that, I was just turning myself into an animal. You know, I would, uh, I would, you know, formation would be at uh five for PT and the gym opened at 4am. So I would, uh, get up at like, get up at like three 30, run over to the gym, get a quick uh, workout, whatever. I was still doing, you know, bodybuilder workouts, like on top of the running and everything else, but I would do whatever body part split it was for that day. Then I would quick run back, go to formation. Then they would usually have us run like three to five miles and then, you know, like later on during the day, I would go to, I would go to the pool. I had this, I had a, I had a pool workout I used to do where I would, uh, swim 500 meters. Then I would, uh, tread water for a half hour. And then I would, uh, try to do, uh, an entire Olympic distance stretch, uh, stretch of the pool underwater. I know I was never really that great at holding my breath, but you know, like, uh, I w- I would get close, you know, like a whole Olympic distance stretch is like 50 meters, but you know, I just kept on attempting it and attempting it and attempting it. You know, and then, um, and then I'd also have nights where I would do like ruck runs and everything, you know, with a, you know, with a, with a backpack. I still run with the ruck nowadays, like on my shorter distance races as a tribute, as a tribute to, uh, the military. But, uh, back then I would have, um, I would have a large ruck with a small day pack that you'd attach to it. So I ha- on the large ruck, I had 60 pounds and on the day pack, I had 30 pounds. So I used to have like this little, mile and a half route to a turnaround. So it was like three miles. So I used to, I used to have like these crazy routines where I would load up with 90 pounds, run three miles, drop the 30 pound pack off, run with 60, then pick the 30 pound pack back up, run with 30. And then I would do a run with nothing. So it's almost like I was drop setting three, uh, three mile runs. So I'd have a routine like that, that I would do like once a week for like the long distance stuff. And then, you know, like, um, when I go to the pool, the pool was about two miles from my barracks. So I used to run to the pool, do that whole routine that I described earlier and then run back. So I, I used to do like a lot of running and then I would, um, you know, mix all the weight training and everything in with it. And uh, it worked pretty well for a little while. Like um, Marine Corps, you know, like um, I didn't really have any squat or deadlift numbers at the time. I pretty much just worked upper body because of all the running I did. But there was a point where I st- where I had a, I would, um, go to the gym. I would do like a 335 bench press. I would do, you know, then I'm, then I had another day where I'd do an entire back routine. After the routine was over, I'd still hop up on the bar, do 20 pull ups, and then I would run back, you know? So I used to do like a lot of crazy stuff back then. I mean, I still do, but not to the level that I used to.
0: No, you still do crazy things, Billy. Let's let's be clear. You're doing great. You're certainly doing crazy things, but definitely very different things. Now, there's so many questions I want to ask you about what you just talked about. It really is so interesting. I guess the first thing is just from an energy perspective, the days that you're describing to me, it just sounds utterly exhausting. Like, did you, what was it like, for you to build up to that amount of output and did you ever get to the point where like it was exhausting for you or did you just callous yourself to, to, to just to the effects of that kind of workload and to the point where obviously you might have been a little tired but it really wasn't that big of a deal
1: oh yeah you you get exhausted usually like i could only hold that level for like maybe like two three months at a time and before i'd need the light before i'd crash and burn and then You know, I'd have a month of just like lifting weights and doing like normal running stuff. And then I would just build it back up again, you know, because, I mean, you can't hold that pace forever, obviously.
0: And let's talk about the lifting part, because you're talking about lifting very heavy weight and doing it consistently. And you did it for a very long time and you still do. So how does running, how does lifting at that level affect running, you know, positively or negatively in your experience? Well, they both. um, Well, actually, um, the running
1: has more of a negative effect on the lifting than the lifting does on the running. I find.
0: Oh, good point.
1: You know, because it's it's harder to make strength gains and everything when you're doing a mass amount of cardio like that. Because usually, uh, usually when I do like a lot of endurance training, like my whole goal is just to maintain strength. I mean, like even like right now with the with the hundred milers and everything, my strength is like down in the dumpster. It's like nothing.
0: (laughs) And with that in mind. Do you try to do like a ton of push-ups? Like how, like when you, like you're on a crazy schedule right now, Like right? you're doing, you know, we'll talk about this. You're, you, you're scheduled for 43, 100 mile races in 2019, which obviously anyone who can do math is basically 80% of the weekends in the year. So, you know, that's to say nothing of the traveling that goes along with that. So do you find yourself doing more body weight exercises, things like that, since you're obviously traveling on the road quite a bit?
1: Well, no, I still um I still hit the gym. I mean, I'm really quick with the travel. It's like um well t- well like a typical weekend. Um, let me see if I could think of a good example. Like uh we'll say like the Rocky Raccoon 100 for example, where uh, I went to Texas for the weekend. So like usually I still have a full work week. So Friday I usually train people. I usually have like one to two clients early in the morning. So on Friday, I'll you know I'll train those people, then I'll hop on the train, take the train out to the bus, take the bus out to the airport, fly out to where I gotta go. I usually get there at night sometime, bed down in the hotel, get up in the morning, pick up my bib, run a hundred miles. As soon as I as soon as I cross the finish line, I usually have my flight booked with enough time to uh, get to the airport and you know like if I'm marginally close to the cutoff. So. You know, if I finish the race early, it gives me a little bit more time. If I finish right on the cutoff, you know, I got to go. So usually, like, as soon as I cross the finish line, I'll just pack my stuff up real fast, shoot over to the airport, um, get over to the terminal, fly right back to New York, and do it all in reverse to get home. And then I just go to sleep, wake up Monday morning,
0: and then I'm back to work. Now, after listening to you on this show and hearing you on other podcasts as well, you're a very humble guy. With that being said, what what accomplishments that you've had in your life are you the most proud of? Um
1: right now this probably cuz um going into the year I didn't really know like what I was getting into. I just threw a plan together and just set it out there cuz like last year was my previous high in 100-milers for a year and I did 4.
0: That's quite a big step up. <laughs> to say the least.
1: Yeah, so Coming into this year I had only finished 10 100s, you know. Well, when I say only, I mean I mean only in comparison to what I'm doing now, you know what I'm saying? So I had uh I had ten one hundred finishes, but i but I had done a lot of like twenty-four hour type events. Like I was more I was a little uh before this, um I did ultra marathons and stuff, but I was more heavy into like the obstacle stuff. You know, so I did like a lot of like ultra distance like Spartan races and uh I've done World's Toughest Mudder five times, which is their 24 hour race, you know, so I've done, I've done overnight stuff before. And then, uh, 2014, I did the, uh, the Spartan death race. I did the, uh, team version of it. So that, that was a, um, that took us about 42 hours to finish. And then, um, on the go side of things I've done, I did a uh, one go heavy by itself. And then I did two other go heavies as part of, uh, HTLs where you do a heavy, a tough and a light back to back. I don't know if you're familiar with the Goruck style events. No, I'm not. rock it's like they have a they have a special operations cadre from the military lead a, lead around a bunch of civilians around a town boot camp style. So it's almost like a mobile type boot camp. You know, you go from place to place with a, you know, with a with a backpack and everything on. And um, you know, they have you do like team type drills where you carry logs and you know, crazy stuff like that. But um you know, they have three, di- they have three distance lengths. You know, you have your heavy, which is 24 hours, your tough, which is 12 hours, and then your light, which is six hours. And, um, I've done two HTLs, which is when you do the heavy, the tough and the light back to back to back without stopping, except for, you know, break the kind of change uh, venues and get back, get to the starting area. So, um, you know, I have had a little bit of, um uh, experience with overnight stuff. And then, um, I've also done a couple, I've I've also done a few, um, you know, like a few like streak type events too, which kind of gave me the idea that I could potentially pull this off. Like, uh, 2000, um, you know, 2017 I did, um, you know, I found, um, I found a string of, uh, nine events in nine days, eight of them were ultra distances. And then the last one was a Long Island marathon. So it pretty much went Spartan Ultra Beast, which is 30 uh, miles. Then it went Iron Master uh, 50K. Then it went the mainly marathon series 50K for five days. Then um, on day eight, it was the uh, Xterra 50 miler at Yowanda Park. And then after that, it was the marathon. And I managed to finish all nine events with the hardest one being uh, the 50 miler on day eight. So I did that. And then um, later on in that year, to raise money for charity, I. Uh, I filled up a 45 pound pack with uh, canned goods and stuff to donate to a local food drive. So I filled the pack up with uh, canned goods and I took my American, I always bring the American flag with me. I ran every event since 2015 with it. And, um, I drove by myself. I, uh, drove to, uh, Dallas from Long Island, which is like about a 26 hour drive. So I drove down to Dallas and for the, uh, Texas quad, if you've ever heard of that event. No, I don't know if you ever have or not. It's, uh, it's four marathons in four days. So that was over Thanksgiving of 2017. So I did it as a fundraiser to raise money for a local veterans organization. I took a 45 pound pack of canned goods and American flag and I did four marathons in four days and I finished all four of them. And then I drove back, raised about $3,000 doing it, donated it all to the, uh, organization that had the food pantry and everything. So. You know holy cow doing events like that and you know kind of gave me the idea that I can potentially pull this off because I I have stacked stuff on like consecutive days before and then before you know right before this year started because I didn't start this year fresh either because uh, like 2018 I raced almost every weekend so like 2018 um I ended it October I did a Tesla Hertz 100. I did a bunch of Spartan races around it. Then November, I did the Saint Sebastian 100 over Thanksgiving with, um, you know, with a bunch of um, other races surrounding it. And then December was a heavy month. I did the 24-hour Spartan Ultra the first weekend. Then my birthday weekend, I did the Lugaroo 100 in uh, Louisiana. And then uh, from Christmas to New Year's, I did the. Uh, I was the first person to finish the uh, Savage Seven Fifty K series. Savage Seven is uh, seven marathons in seven days, and uh, last year was the first year they gave a fifty K option. So from Christmas to New Year's, I did seven fifty Ks in seven days. Then I had two weeks off, and then or two and a half weeks off, and then I rolled right into um, the Frozen Hell Whole Hundred, which is the first one I did this year. And then I followed that with um, Skydive Ultra, followed by Rocky Raccoon, followed by Lone Star, followed by Beast of Burden, followed by Love It, and then it just went on and on from there.
0: Billy, that's like that's like signing up for like an eating competition and stopping on like stopping for two Big Macs on the way to the competition. (laughs) Like that is what an what an unbelievable. Well, Preface. originally,
1: like I was going to use this year to relax, but you know, like around November, December-ish, I came up with the crazy idea for like the 100 mile goal. So I researched a whole string of events. I looked at it, and I'm like, "There's no way I can afford to do that." And then, um, you know, I started. You, you just, uh, just
0: mean like from the financial perspective? Just that there's, yeah, like, that's I mean, obviously oh, a, a, a huge vi- hurdle from a physical. F-
1: from a physical perspective, I don't worry about it. I just figured they got a medical staff. If anything happens, they'll find me. <laughs> but yeah, just mainly from a financial perspective, you know, that's that's the only thing that really like worried, worried me whether or not I could pull this off. You know.
0: So let's talk about recovery here, because you know, even at this point, so you're planning the you know, 2019. Obviously, you're going into it. Like you said, like you were sound like you tapered for for the start no, I wasn't of the year. Fresh at all? You 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 were going. Year. You're going balls to the wall right from the start. And with so, this year
1: too, though, I didn't really, I didn't really put it out there that I was going to shoot for this whole thing until I got through like my fourth race. After I did the Lone Star 100, which is a very rugged race in the Franklin Mountains in Texas, um, once I got through the Lone Star 100, I started to believe in myself that I could do this. So that's when I kind of threw the plan together, and I'm like, all right, I got to figure this thing out, you know, because I can, I have the ability to pull this off. Let's just see if I can do, if I can maintain it for. You. An extended period of time, you know? So that's when I started to, you know, I'll throw out fundraising links, do like, you know, extra work on the side and, you know.
0: Oh, we'll, and we'll put out all of those as well, along with this episode and the show notes. And I'll make sure that all, everyone's available for that. And I'll be contributing as well because you're doing great stuff. And when you were doing these back-to-back-to-back days and those streaks, what did you learn about recovery in order to just achieve that, those sorts of goals, because even if you're super fit, just the recovery aspect can be something that can make or break you.
1: Well, the the streak events are rough. I mean, I'm you know like um, the biggest thing about those is like p- just pacing accordingly. Like usually, like um, the the first one I did where I did like nine in a row. All right, so the Spar- the Spartan Ultra Beast. I mean, if you've ever done that event, it's a thirty mile Spartan race. So you're not just running. You're power hiking up mountains with, you know, 80 pound buckets of rocks and sandbags and you're jumping over walls and crawling under barbed wire, you know. So you're doing all that kind of stuff and it, you know, it's like trail running with that stuff mixed in for 30 miles. And then, you know, next day I came out and did the Iron Master 50k where it was advertised as a uh, hiker friendly course. But that course was very, very, it wasn't as friendly as they said it was. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it took it probably took about like an hour and a half to get the first three miles knock knocked out because you were playing hopscotch along boulders to get up the mountain. Oh wow. But um I pulled that one off. And then by day three, day three was a gut check. I mean, I got to the mainly marathon series. There's mainly marathons, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're not they're not that bad of a series. Usually it's like a mile and a half or a two-mile loop that you just do repeatedly until you get the distance. So, I, I mean, I don't, it, the first day was like a mile and a half loop that I just had to do over and over and over again until I got 31 miles. But by the time I was done with that though, I was so chafed and so bleeding. I thought, you know, I thought I was done for. So, you know, I was talking to somebody from the race. I'm like, I don't know what I got to do. And I got to pull this off because I'm I'm raising money for charity. Like I can't fail. And the guy goes to me, he's like, why don't you just, do you ever try using Desitin? I'm like, Desitin, what's that? He's like, well, you know, it's in the child care section. It's for diaper rash, but it'll—it <laughs> <take>, sure is. <laughs> it'll, it'll. Take I have care two of young changing. kids.
0: I know exactly what desitin is.
1: Yeah, but um, so after the race, I hobbled over to a Walmart, and um, you know, I put the desitin on and everything, and it numbed everything out. So it got me through day four, and then surprisingly, when I got the day five, day five was my fastest time. All of a sudden, everything just went numb and. Holy cow. i was just knocking them out left and right you know so it's crazy like the body just like adapted like after you know day 3 i thought i was done day 4 i came out it was a little bit better but then by day 5 it was like i hadn't even run before you know it's crazy like i never experienced anything like it and then you know i didn't have the day 9 was the long island marathon and um with that i didn't really expect to do too well but i still but i hit like almost like five hours flat on it after doing eight races in a row. And, you know, I kind of did like a, you know, like a walk run type method until I hit about mile 20. Then mile 20, I just realized that I was almost done. And like the last 10K of the race, I just bolted it and ran like at like an 830 pace.
0: I'll tell you what, man, my jaw is on the floor hearing all these stories. It really is remarkable. If you were to go back in time, and basically tell you know your fourteen or seventeen year old self that this was going to be in your future. Wh- what would your reaction be? I don't I don't
1: need I don't even know I mean <laughs> I'd probably be I guess a little bit in shock maybe
0: let, let, me ask, let me ask you this in a different in a different sense. what do you think are the limiters to people's potential because you're you're achieving things and reaching heights. That so few people do so what do you think is limiting people from achieving their own personal ceilings well a lot of it i think too though um i mean
1: yeah there's there's the mental aspect of it but i think a lot of it just has to deal with people not thinking they can pull it off because especially like with some of the stuff uh, i've done like um remember this one weekend um well because i used to i used to when I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed out in North Carolina and obviously my family's from Long Island. So on the weekends, I used to drive home all the time. So I kind of related that to the travel for like these events and everything. Cause you know, it's, it's one thing if you're arranging travel, like if you're taking trains or taking planes or taking buses or whatever. But if you just hop in your car and go, you can get the places pretty quick, a lot quicker than people think. But you know, it's just a matter of getting down to business because, like your average person, they'll pull over every hour, they'll dilly dally in in rest stops and stuff like that. But if you just get in your car and go, you can cover ground pretty quickly. It's like, um, you know, um, th- there was this one time I think it was 2017 ish. I you know I tested something out, so I I still had work on Friday and I still had work on Monday. So coming from Long Island, um, I found a 50k in Pittsburgh. I think it was, uh, what was it? Um, the, I think it was like the Lieutenant JT Stone or something like that, 50K, whatever it was, it was in March. So I get off work on, on Friday. I had a couple morning clients, but that was just, that was about it. I drove to Pittsburgh, got the hotel Saturday morning, ran the 50K. As soon as I crossed the finish line for the 50K, I drive down to my mom's house in North Carolina sleep there for a few hours, get up, run a marathon in Raleigh. It was the uh, Tobacco Road Marathon, I believe. And then uh, after that, I get back in the car, drive back to my mom's, take a few-hour nap, and then I time it just right so that I drive straight to work, get there at 4 a.m. for my first client on Monday morning. So with that weekend, I Friday I went from New York to Pittsburgh. Saturday I went from Pittsburgh to North Carolina. Sunday, I went from uh, North Carolina back to New York, and I didn't miss a day of work.
0: So, when you meet up with that client Monday morning, four o'clock, do they even have the gall to like throw an excuse at you why they might not be reaching the numbers they're supposed to reach during their workout, or do they know like, hey, Billy is killing it. I just need to suck it up and like you know stick to my guns here. Well, it's kind of funny though because that one client though he he was an
1: actual like four a.m. session too though because he he. The only time he could really come in, he he did flooring for a living, so like I couldn't get him to come in the afternoon because he'd just be wiped out from work. So I so I used to have him come in in the morning before he went to work. So um, I pull into the gym parking lot at like three forty five, and I uh, I text him. I'm like, I'm here. He's like, you know, he could just cancel. So I just texted back. Well, then I wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have accomplished what I set out to do.
0: Yes, right because for you this this isn't just you know you're not a professional athlete well now, see
1: that's all that's all part of it too though like it, you know if I don't make a you know part of the uh part of the challenge behind it's making it back to work in time
0: of course right you, I mean you you have to sustain your your livelihood and like you said like this whole adventure this you know this this year long adventure. You know, it's not it's not free, right? I mean, you you have a lot of travel costs. You these, these races cost money, and, and all of that.
1: Oh yeah, no, and I, I work as I work as a trainer. If I don't work, I don't get paid. You know, I don't have sick days. I don't have vacation time. You know, so anytime I take away from work, I lose that money. You know,
0: absolutely. So let's talk about where you are so far this year. So you are so we're you know we're we're roughly not, not halfway through the year. We have four months left. Where are you in terms of getting to forty one? Well,
1: I finished, uh, I finished number 24 this past weekend, the, uh, Shawnee Hills 100. Um, I have had a few DNFs this year, mostly, uh, mostly heat related. Cause I mean, the heat's like my weakness, but, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully the really hot stuff has passed. So in order to hit this record, there's 18 weeks left in the year and I have 18 races scheduled. So the last since I finished this weekend. I have to finish the last 19 races in 19 consecutive weekends to get it.
0: And are they going to be? Is every weekend a, a race, or are you going to be doubling up any of the weekends?
1: No, every weekend is just one race. I haven't attempted a double up yet. I don't know if I have the time to cover
0: that. Let me ask you this question: What's that? Would you would you be willing to like say something happens, right? Say like a race. I'm not going I'm to not going to jinx you, but say like a race cancels, right? There's hor- there's a hurricane, right? they cancel the race. Would you at that point be, you know, like, all right, I'm going to run a hundred miles on my own just to, just to, just to get it done. Or like, what are options in terms of like, if something were to happen?
1: Well, I mean, I'm sure I could, I'm sure I could figure something out. Cause I mean, I know, um, I know there's that, uh, across the ages event at the end of the year, I'd probably have to shoot them an email and see if I could start on like an off day. I, you know, cause I got, um, I got on the Charleston 100 on the 28th. I'm pretty sure I could probably figure something out where I can cross the finish line, fly out to Arizona, and then try to cross another finish line before the stroke of midnight on the 31st or something. I, there, there, there's, a, there's a way to figure it out.
0: <laughs> we just got you fl- you to keep flying you west. You'll just go around the whole world, right? You're like, no, I need more time. I need more time on the 31st.
1: Well, this year the priority is like the uh, close races because I got so many of them. I try to fly as little as possible, but there's some weekends where I can't be avoided.
0: Speaking of the things that can't be avoided, let's talk about injuries because obviously you're putting a huge load on your body here. To say nothing of you know the years and decades of training that you've done and injuries you've occurred, you know in you know in, in previous years. So what are some of the things you're doing now to try to alleviate injury, and what are some of the injuries that you're trying to you know that you're trying to maintain and get through to get this record?
1: Okay, so right now I'm I'm um, I'm in a little bit of luck because uh, one of my uh, one of my friends uh, happens to own a physical therapy place, so he's one of the people that has sponsored me to do like some of these you know to do some of these events. He's pretty much covered half the entry fees for the season, but um, anytime you see me run with that with a Performax shirt on, you know the black shirt with the Performax lettering. You know, I'm looking at uh, it right now.
0: It. I'm looking at the picture right uh, now. Yeah, that, nice that, shirt.
1: that's his company. They're like, they're probably, they've probably given me more help than anything. Usually if I'm wearing like a different shirt when I cross the finish lines, cause I had to change shirts cause I sweated too much and the temperature dropped or whatever. But, you know, but yeah, that's generally, you know, that's that, the, you know, they, uh, they treat me twice a week. You know, usually it's just like uh mobility type stuff, you know, stretching, blading, you know, some deep tissue work, some electric stim. You know, stuff like that. But they've been, they've been probably like the biggest help to me, like all year, you know, cause I mean, they've, you know, like they, they're like the most valuable asset. I mean, especially, you know, especially, uh, I almost went down after the, uh, peak ultra this year. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bloodroot ultra up in Vermont. It was, it was a 10 mile loop you had to do 10 times, a lot of, a lot of elevation gain, but at the same time, like a lot of like steep drops. And, um, I ended up, um, they didn't really get the, when I went to the VA for the injury, they didn't really give me an exact diagnosis. They said it was like a very bad shin splint, but I really think I had like an anterior tibialis tear because it was like a lump in my leg and it was like the size of an elephant, you know, but, um, the, the, um, x-rays came up negative for stress fractures and everything. But, uh, when I did that race, I, I still crossed the finish line. And, um, the following weekend was the Keys 100. So, you know, I had them tape me up and I attempted the Keys 100. And by the time I got the mile 65, the pain was just so excruciating. I couldn't walk more than a quarter mile without having to lay down. So I ended up DNFing that race. And then the following weekend, I, you know, like after DNFing that race, I thought to myself, okay, I need to skip a weekend so I can heal. So I skipped the uh, Iowa Backroads Ultra the following weekend just to get a little bit of recovery. Shin was still flaring up though, but um, after after that uh, after that one, I went into um, the Infinitus One Hundred. The Infinitus One Hundred had a very generous time cutoff, so I basically treated that one like a party, like it had eight loops, and after every loop, I sat down for like an hour. And um, you know, then came the weekend where I got interviewed by the American Legion, so that was the Eagle Up Ultra that's where the pressure was on because my leg was still inflamed from the from the uh, inter- interior tibialis. You know, I had it taped up and everything, so I had to pull. So with a bad shin, you know, I had the American Legion running around interviewing me. I had to pull off 100 miles in under 24 hours, and I pulled it off at, like, about 10 or 12 minutes to spare. But um, after that race, um, it seemed to kind of heal. It was weird, though, because all of a sudden it seemed to kind of heal on its
0: own, and. I don't really have any more pain in my shin anymore. It's crazy. I guess your body realized that it. it's not like you were going to stop, <laughs> so it better figure itself out.
1: Yeah, my physical therapist friend doesn't understand it either.
0: And to just just put these injuries in perspective. When you say something hurt a lot, <laughs> like you're not like me saying, "Oh man, this hurts." No, it you're, means the same, I you're, can't you're the same. You're the same guy. It. You're the same guy who. Three years ago, please tell the bice the bicep tendon story at Tough Mudder because this is insane.
1: All right, so I could even go before the bicep tendon, <laughs> but uh, my first major injury was in the uh, beginning of 2015. You know, I had just uh, I had just changed jobs. I was working out in New York City, and I came back to Long Island because of family issues and everything. You know, so I was uh, you know I was trying to you know beef up my clientele and stuff like that. So I was just you know shooting Instagram videos of me working out and stuff. So, you know, I had a long day, you know, I was still recovering from World Stuff as Mutter, so I didn't really give myself a rest break. But um I was doing the skull crusher exercise and you could actually backtrack to January of twenty fifteen on my Instagram. I got a little video of it uploaded, believe it or not. But um I was videoing myself doing skull crushers with 135 pounds on the bar. It was on a straight bar and I was about Holy four cow. reps in. And all of a sudden, my left tricep tendon just snapped right off the bone. So, you know, I ended up uh, going to the hospital, um, you know, and then uh, coincidentally, uh, one of my clients who was a Vietnam veteran told me, I, you know, to like check in with the VA for medical and stuff like that. So I was in the process, I was in processing with the VA and later on that night was when I uh, ruptured the tendon and everything. So the following day, I go to finish up, you know, my uh, medical records and stuff like that. You know, I showed the doctor my arm and everything. She's like, oh, you'll be out of the gym for a month. You know, the same thing, you know, the emergency room said the same thing the night before. And then I'm talking to a counselor and everything to finish my in-processing. And my left arm's kind of spasming. And she's like, is something wrong with your arm? I'm like, yeah, I, I messed up my tricep working out yesterday. And she goes and looks at it. She's like, that looks pretty bad. What did the doctor say? So I told her, I'm like, well, the doctor said I'd probably be out of the gym for a month. And She's like, um, I'm gonna call downstairs and see if the orthopedic is still in. I'm gonna send you down there. So I go downstairs and I talk to orthopedic. He's look, he's looking at the elbow and everything. He's like, all right, um, ah, uh, we can get we can get him in for an MRI as soon as tomorrow. But I don't even need to look at it. Um, it's just standard protocol. We could get him to the, on the table as soon as Tuesday. I'm like, wait a minute, table. What are you talking about? He's like, your tricep tendon is gone. It's not there anymore. If you don't get this operated on, you're never going to be able to straighten your arm out again. And I was like, wait, what?
0: Oh my gosh, what a surprise. It just
1: took me by such surprise though. So like from what the emergency room said and what the first doctor said, if I, wa- if I wasn't in processing with the VA, who knows what my arm would look like right now. But um, but yeah, so I ended up getting the surgery and, um, you know, like, I got to press for a little bit and then I got up and I'm like, you know, I got to do something. So, you know, at the time I was just, I was running races with a 45 pound ruck. Everything I did was with a 45 pound pack. So I figured out a way to sneak uh, my brace through the pack strap and then I got back up and I did the winter run series, you know, so I had a, I had that, uh, I had one of those blood cell braces. I had no use in my left arm whatsoever. And I still went out and I was running five mile races and five K's and 10 K's and stuff like that. And then, um, this kind of leads into where I did my first ultra marathon. So one of my, you know, like about seven weeks out from surgery, um, still have no use of my left arm. One of my friends goes to me and he's like, Hey, um, there's this, uh, 70 K out east. It's a relay. Um, you know, we were thinking of doing it and then I'm look, I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'll take a look at it on the website. So I go to the website and I see that there's a solo option. So I'm like, oh, I got to do the solo option. So I signed up for it and, you know, I never ran an ultra before, you know, outside of like doing obstacle stuff. That stuff's a little different though. But, um, you know, I was like, all right, I'll I'll take a crack at it. And this was probably the most miserable experience I've ever had. Well, back then it was anyway. But um, there was a snowstorm that wasn't predicted. So this 70K, which is about 43 and a half miles, um, it was about a 10 mile distance between each aid station. Um, I brought a pack with me. I had a water bladder, and I had like these little side pouches with Red Bulls in them. And um in the morning it was the temperature was a lot lower than predicted. It was like about fifteen degrees out. Um it was there was like about five inches of snow on the ground that weren't predicted and they didn't cancel the race. They still had everything. So probably about like, um, seven, eight miles in my water bladder was completely frozen. I had a, you know, so I was trying to drink Red Bulls to hydrate cause it was the only fluid I had. Um, I was running it in street ASICS, which is a big no, no. So I was like slipping and sliding everywhere. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, just everything that could go wrong went wrong, but I still made it in under the cutoff and I finished it with uh, no use of my left arm. I actually took a bunch of falls too, but every time I fell, my whole priority was to roll to my right side so I didn't land on my left arm. But yeah, I ended up finishing it with, um, you know, with a pack and uh, one arm. And then, you know, I would go on, you know, my my left tricep, the tricep took a lot longer to heal than the bicep. Tricep took like a good like five, six months before I even got any strength back in it.
0: So, Billy, Billy, I got to ask, when you're at those points mentally and emotionally where you just feel like, you know, like this, I just can't do this anymore, like, or like, or, you know, you're just at your lowest possible point. How do you get past it? Because you do, you've done it so many times and so many of us get to those points and it's just such a difficult thing. What what, is, what advice can you give to people? Like, what what have you done in the past that has worked for you to pull yourself out of those moments?
1: Well, I mean, you know, everything you do in life, there's a start point and an end point. It's just a matter of getting from point A to point B. You know, there's always an end. So it's just, you just keep pushing forward one foot in front of the other.
0: And while that's 100% true, do you, is it is it just as simple as that for you when you go through those tough moments? Or do you feel like... You had to you had to figure it out.
1: Well, there are times when reality kind of strikes. I mean, I have had a few events where it's like, well, okay. And I mean, I'll get into that a little later though, because I did have a little bit of a life changing moment on my first 100 mile race. But um, actually, yeah, I can get into that now because uh, my first 100 mile race was injury number two. So my first 100 mile race, um, you know, I didn't really have a plan going in. I mean. My plan was just to eat at aid stations, and I didn't have a pacing plan, nothing like that. And, you know, one of my friends was, like, talking it up, and he was saying stuff like, you know, well, if you can't finish, do this. If you can't do this, if you can't do that. And, you know, I just got tired of hearing it. So the beginning of the race, um, I'd never ran a 100 before. I straight up ran the first 50. So I finished the first 50 miles in 10 hours and 2 minutes. Yeah, I mean obviously I had a couple of aid station stops and stuff like that though, but I didn't I didn't pace at all. I just ran the first 50 in 10 hours and 2 minutes, but I ended up finishing the race in 29 hours and 25 minutes. Oh, the first half went great. Everything was wonderful, you know. After the first half was over, I stopped, I ate some pizza. I'm like, I'm pacing really well. I was I was real excited because I thought I was going to go sub 24 on my very first 100, so I felt like, you know, I felt like Billy Badass and everything. I'm like, yeah, you know. But um, but then my legs started to break down a little bit. You know, I, I pretty much um I power I, I ended up having the it was the Beast of Burden 100. It was the summertime version. If you're familiar with that race, it was the, the it's like the flat the flattest race you could ever imagine. Which with 100 mile races, that's that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's not, also not a bad thing. But um, so I get the mile 75. I lay down for a few minutes body temperature drops. It's probably like 80 degrees out, but I'm shivering, you know? So I'm wondering if I should pull myself out of the race or not. So as I'm shivering, the race director comes up to me. He's like, Oh man, I'll let you borrow a set of sweats and then we'll, uh, you know, I'll pick you up, walk you to the start finish area and then get you going again. So, you know, I got out, I got back out on the course, made it out to the 87 and a half mile I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the sun's up in the air, starting to see stars, starting to overheat a little bit. I get to mile 93 and I thought I was done. I didn't pull myself from the race, but I sat down. I was overheating. They were drenching me with ice. You know, I I was hydrated though. I, I kept pounding water, pounding water, pounding water. So, you know, same thing. Um volunteers like, all right, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll stand you up, walk you to the corner and then you're on your own. You got seven miles left. You better finish. You know? So I get up, I start walking, I get to the point if you, if, I don't know if you've ever done the beast of burden though, no, but like you have to cross over the canal to get to the uh, finish line. So when you get about, to, you know, the, the race starts out, you start in the start finish area, you run a mile out to a drawbridge, cross the drawbridge, and then you run back in the opposite direction. So when you get about 2 miles out, you could see the festival area from across the canal. So the last 2 miles took me an hour to complete.
0: Oh jeez.
1: I lost all ability to use my, you know, my my quads, my hamstrings, my glutes, everything. My left hip flexor was the size of a softball. Like I I wasn't going anywhere. I was basically like shifting my body on stilts to walk. So I get to the finish line. Everyone starts yelling at me, "Running! Finish! Running! Finish!" I'm like, "I can't." So, <laughs> I cross the finish line. I raise my hand in the air, and they give me my buckle. I go sit down. So I sit down for like ten minutes. They're giving me food, everything like that. And then one of them goes to me. Is like, "Oh yeah, we got a shower in the bathroom. You know, um, if you need to get up and shower, you can." I'm like, "All right." So I try to get up, and I couldn't even signal my legs to move on their own power. Like they just weren't there. So they try to help me out, help me up. I immediately collapsed to the ground. And as soon as my legs moved, it felt like I got stabbed with like about 50 knives. So they moved me over to the picnic table. They start moving them back and forth. Every time they move them, it just feels like they're ripping the pieces. And then uh, they're trying to massage my hip flexor out, which is like the size of a softball. You know, so I couldn't move at all. And this is uh, upstate New York. I'm like close to the Canadian border. It's uh, along the Erie Canal. but. Um, so they throw me in the back of my friend's car, they drive me seven hours back to Long Island, then they carry me over to my car. I was still able to move my foot a little bit. So I drove home. I couldn't get out of my car in my own driveway. So I slept in my driveway that night. And then I knew something was wrong. Like I couldn't move my legs at all. So I start, you know, throwing up Facebook posts. I'm like, hey, is there anybody that has off work today that could bring me to the VA hospital? So one of my friends happened to be off and hanging with with his cousin, so he stopped by, threw me in the back of their car, then um, they drove me to the VA hospital. They got a wheelchair out for me and everything, brought me in the emergency room. And um, when I went to the emergency room, I go to the doctor. I'm like, hey, what's wrong? Did I, you know, did I tear something? I mean, I don't know what I did. I've never felt like this before. So he goes to me. He's like. All right, well, you didn't exactly tear anything, but you're not going anywhere. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, we ran your blood work, and um you know, a normal person's creatine kinase levels are about a hundred. Yours are at seven thousand, so you have a mild case of rhabdomyolysis. You're not going anywhere, so I ended up spending uh three days at the v a hospital. It took about two days before I could even stand on my own power anymore, you know at that time, so you know, they ran me through all sorts, all sorts of CAT scans, MRIs, x-rays, everything, you name it. So basically, they just drowned me out with IVs until my body cleaned itself out. And, you know, my levels, you know, went close to normal. So, you know, I, um, I was put in the hospital Monday morning. I got out Wednesday. I went immediately back to work Wednesday night. And then um, that same weekend, I had uh, three races scheduled in, on Saturday. So, they didn't really recommend I do any physical activity, but I, I kept calling around the different doctors I knew, I knew until somebody told me okay. So, um, two days after I got out of the hospital, I did, a uh, uh, 5k in Massapequa in the morning, uh, Tough Mutter <laughs> and Bethpage in the afternoon. And then, um, a couple hours later, I did a Goruk, uh, 5k at night and I finished all three of them. You know, I didn't, it wasn't easy, but I got through them.
0: It wasn't easy. Yeah. No kidding, Billy. You just got out of the hospital.
1: Well, I mean, on the bright side, I did, I did, uh, I did cancel the 100 K I was supposed to do like on Sunday. So,
0: so there you go. See, I guess it's all relative.
1: Yeah. So I was supposed to do this. Well, I, I ended up doing it too, but I was, you know, I had already, um, already got an interview cause I was doing the, uh, Suffolk County marathon less than a month later with a 45 pound pack and a flag. So the county executive's office was uh, following me on Facebook, and they actually made me go get medical clearance before I ran the marathon. <laughs>
0: Holy cow. That's <laughs> which, is,
1: which is kind of an interesting story, but, you know, because, you know, what county does their executive's office make somebody go get medical clearance before they do something? And I don't, even work for the, I don't even work for the county office.
0: Right. To say nothing of, you know, most of these races are privately run, so usually you don't have that sort of interference. Yeah. So... Let's just let's just talk real quick before we get going. Uh two more questions. First one is um if someone wants to support uh you and your fundraising efforts, what's the where's the best way for them to go? And we'll make sure it's in the show notes.
1: All right. Um best way I got a I got a fun I got um I got like a quest page set up. It's got a fundraiser link on the bottom of it. It's uh slash billy one hundred.
0: dmlifebilly
1: dot one hundred. Yeah, d m d i e m dot life slash Billy one hundred. Okay. And uh, that page, it's 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 this it's this company that's like a you know it's like it's a quest page with a donation link attached to it though. So not only does it allow uh, fundraising and donations and stuff like that, but uh, it also has a checklist of all the events that I've completed, and it gives a completion percentage on it. So right now I'm like about I'm at about fifty seven percent complete. So every time I complete an event, I go to that page and I uh check the box off and then it updates it and you know. So it's you know, it's a pretty uh it's a pretty cool thing.
0: Yeah, a big 19 week segment coming up, that's for sure. Well, at least I'm well, at least I'm one race down. There you go. So the American flag, you you run holding the American flag as you said since 2015-2016. This flag is not little. This is a big flag. Yeah, it's your
1: standard uh it's your standard 3 by 5 flag.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the significance of you running with that. Um, you know, every race. Well, I,
1: I run with it to I run with it to um, honor our military, law enforcement, first responders. I mean that you know there's a lot of stories behind it. I mean, like I can go on for hours and hours and hours.
0: <laughs> obviously, it's very significant for you uh, in a lot of yes. ways, and I know for a lot of people. They'd view it as like, wow, like that's that's really interesting. And there's been people who've done that for you know a race here and a race there, but I know for you it's something that's ingrained in your livelihood and something that you do at every single race. So
1: yes, I don't I don't run without it. I've uh I've done three I've done three hundred and nine races with it. Well, I've finished three hundred and nine races with it. And out of those races I've finished, I've crossed over seven thousand miles. So, you know, I've carried, you know, I've carried it, you know, I've carried it since uh, 4th of July of 2015. Uh, It originally started as a patriotic gesture and then I've, um, I've used it to raise money for uh, causes and everything though. So, you know, I I originally started doing training runs and everything with it after that 4th of July race to uh, raise awareness towards PTSD and everything and let people know that, hey, there's a problem you know, with, um, you know, with veterans and everything that on the, at the time, I don't, I don't know what the statistic is now though, but at the time, um, there was, uh, there was an average of, uh, 22 veterans a day were, uh, committing suicide. So, you know, it's something that pretty much needed to bring attention to. And, um, you know, I've also, I've also ran with the flag and support of police officers and everything. In, uh, 2016, I, ran at a bunch of, uh, police precincts along the, along, you know, around the country to, you know, show the police that they were still supported and everything. Um, you know, so, I mean, I've had, you know, the, the reasons have shifted around a little bit. So, I mean, but the main reason I do it is to, um, you know, show, um, show appreciation, support, and to, uh, honor our, uh, military law enforcement and first responders and you know also to show patriotism towards the country and everything and you know just basically show you know show support
0: yeah i mean you you you're obviously living oh uh, you li- you live for others you're showing a passion for things and you're you know obviously moving in that direction constantly i mean
1: honestly the support the support from the community is really what keeps me going with this too you know what i'm saying because mm-hmm. i mean this is i mean this is such a brutal goal it's you know, it, it, it's it's very difficult to get back out there each and every weekend, though. But I just I just push through and just, you know, one foot in front of the other, and I stumble across the
0: finish line. It truly is amazing. You're amazing. This whole journey is um, it's hard to put into words. So I appreciate you taking the time to do just that. One,
1: one more thing before I go. I never really I never really got into my uh, uh, right bicep tendon because I ruptured that in 2016. But um, I mean, I'll, I'll, if you want me on the show again, I'll get into that a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit the next time though. But I just want to fast forward to something that somebody said to me when, you know, like during a race, Um, you know, I ruptured my uh, right bicep tendon at a, at a tough mutter. I was attempting an obstacle I shouldn't have with a 45 pound pack on and the tendon just snapped. And um, 10 days out from surgery, you know, I was still on a hard cast. I didn't get my brace yet. I decided to get back out there and do a race, and uh, my, you know, my, um, my saying behind that was okay. My right arm's down, but I still have a left arm to carry the flag, and I have two legs to run on. So I get to this five mile race. I didn't run at full speed, obviously. I tightened the sling down to kind of override the bicep, so I didn't have a chance to. Use, so I, so I didn't accidentally use it. And I'm standing at the starting line. You know, with the American flag in the left hand. Uh, my arm, my right arm in this big cast and the lady walked up to me and she said to me, she's, she immediately said to me, she's like, because of you, I no longer know the words, the meaning of the words I can't. And ever since I heard that, that's kind of sparked like a fire. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of given that statement right there has kind of given me like a lot of a push that kind of keeps me going. I mean, I've always had it inside me, but that just kind of ignited it to like a higher degree, you know?
0: It's a great lesson, not only for you, but for all of us. Oh yeah. Because it's not as if you're this superhuman specimen that, you know, was you know an no, elite I athlete since you were 12 years old.
1: Believe me, I am human. I, uh, I hurt, you know, and I get hurt, but you know, you just kind of You know, you learn to push through it and just get through it, you know?
0: Absolutely. Billy, you're the man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Definitely. Thank you for having me. Thank you again, Billy, for hopping on the show. This was so much fun. If you want to support Billy in everything he's doing, check out the show notes. You'll find all the links in there. How can you not support a guy like this? I mean, this guy is just doing absolutely amazing things. Like I said in the intro, I could have talked to this guy for hours. What an absolute story, and what a stud. I really appreciated it. Thank you so much also to our sponsors. Ragnar Relays, Tune Up CBD, and Megaton Coffee. If you like the show, check them out. They're a sponsor for a reason. I believe in all of these products and all of these companies. I drink Megaton Coffee every morning. I have Tune Up CBD every day. So check them out. Lastly, thank you for rating and reviewing and sharing the show. It is so greatly appreciated. Obviously, you know, this show is free. So if you ever want to help support the show, Check out the sponsors and rate and review the podcast. I am so appreciative for everybody for listening. Thank you so much and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to MetaP P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu is produced by Symphonic Bang.
1: Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates These days just representation A storm brewing I'm Amazed That the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change I'm trying to show this industry